recording. Welcome, everybody. Welcome, Josh. Appreciate you being here. Absolutely. I've got my... I've got my cool headphones on. Why don't you have a cool headset so that you look like a dork like me? Here I am at my at my home <laughs> office, right? Not not too prepared. Yeah, no, that, that's all right. I know. I threw I threw this at Josh at the very last second. He's like, "What? You know, you're gonna have like some slides up?" And I was like, "Well, it would be great if I could just turn on the camera and see your sunshiny face in, in front of the camera." So, um, so thank you, Josh, for playing along. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Um, thank you. So welcome. Welcome, everybody, to the call. Appreciate you guys being here. As always, uh, there should be uh, a thousand of you on this call uh, right now because this is one of the rare opportunities that we have to hear it straight from a guy who is, I think, and in my opinion, Josh, you're running the How to Build a Local Marketing Agency playbook pretty much perfectly from an outside perspective. I know that, of course, inside of a business that's growing that fast, you've always got your challenges and you've always got your, you know, your uh, things that are not uh, so rosy, but that's that's just part of business. Nobody um, has everything running perfectly. Um, so, but in terms of the execution of, I think, the fundamentals of the model and how you should approach it um, to grow, I, I think that you guys are, are just killing it. And um, so, to everybody who is here on the call, you've got an awesome opportunity to hear straight from Josh, uh, you know, what's working, what, what are the strategies that they've been pursuing, um, you know, what are the, the things that are working for them, what are the things that are not working for them. And so I encourage all of you to make sure that you're asking questions, um, make sure that you are um, tuning in to, you know, everything it has to say so that you can absorb as much of this and, and apply it to your business as possible. So on that note, we will get going. So. All of you here, I want to make sure that you guys get the opportunity to ask questions as well as I am going to ask questions. So feel free to type them in here as we go, and I'm going to do my best to keep an eye on them and uh, make sure that we get as many of your questions answered as possible. All right, Josh, on that note, again, thank you very much for joining us. Congratulations on very recently made the Inc. 5000 list. So what number you guys were? 1,100 and something? 1,166. That is phenomenal. Congratulations. Um, and for those of you who don't know what that takes, um, if, if it's still the same way as when we were on that list, it is three years, right, of essentially audited financials, mm -hmm. and then you have to hit a certain growth trajectory over that three years, that puts you ahead of all but 1,162 or whatever companies in, in the United States yeah. um, to be able to make that position on that list, and that is, that's awesome. Thank you. Um, yeah, it was, a, so, it, was a, it was a, not, it was a not overt goal. It was one of those things as we were growing, we, we weren't saying we want to hit the Inc. 5000 list, but it was something we were yeah. like, man, imagine that, and then when it became something that was... Within you know feasibility, we were like, "Oh my goodness, this is really going to happen." Yeah, yeah, that's cool. And I think you know, again, kind of uh, thinking back to our days of when we were uh, doing that with uh, Emeron, it, it becomes a really cool motivator for the team. Though, I mean, it's something to you know, it's something to strive for. And a lot of times, when you're growing a business real fast, um, you know, again, there's 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 always in a fast growth business, there's always so much hard work, there's always so many things that are not going well, <clears throat> and from an outside perspective, people can assume it's all just rosy because you're growing so fast, but um, 
lot of times you don't get that pat on the back, the you know the attaboy um, that you would like to get. And that's that's awesome recognition for you, um, and it's awesome recognition for your team to be able to get something like that and be able to say, hey, look, all of our work is paying off. Absolutely, yeah, that's cool. All right, so why don't you tell us? Uh, why don't you give us the high level overview of um, Plumber SDO and um, you know, just give us the, the two minute elevator pitch on it. Absolutely. So, I mean, we're a full service internet marketing agency that specializes in, in the plumbing and HVAC industry. So we've actually recently, in the last couple of years, changed the name to Plumbing and HVAC SEO, which is really plumbing companies and AC repair companies. They kind of fly in the same circles, they're parts of the same organizations. And what we do as an organization is we help them increase their sales, grow their revenues, maximize their lead flow online. And that's everything from their website to their SEO strategy to pay-per-click advertising and email marketing, everything in between. And um, that's that's kind of the, the market that we've chosen to play in and had a lot of fun with. That's cool. So, um, so do you have an idea? I know you're, you're pretty involved like in the industry associations and stuff mm -hmm. like that. Do you have an idea of how many of those types of companies are out there in the United States that you would say, you know, they're, they're big enough that they fit our wheelhouse to be a, a good paying client? Yeah, I actually have the exact stats on this. I don't have them in front of me right now, but I know that there's an excess of 150,000 plumbing and HVAC companies in the United States and yeah. more than 25,000 of them do greater than a million dollars per year in revenue. So even with just a, a fractional market share, uh, we're able to have a really nice, sustainable business. That's great. And how many, roughly, you don't have to give us exact numbers if you're not comfortable, but how many uh, clients do you guys have right now? We've got about 137 active clients that pay us on a monthly recurring uh, retainer. That's awesome. So you still got a ways to go. Oh, haven't uh, even, haven't even tipped the iceberg. Tapped out that market. Yeah, exactly. That's awesome. Cool. Well, so what I'd like to do is, uh, if we could, I'd like to um, do our best um, to make sure that we're extracting what you think are the most important lessons um, that allowed you to achieve this growth on the way. And I know from our previous conversations, we see very eye to eye on this, um, that you know one of the most important very first things is that you have specialized. Mm -hmm. You've picked a market that you're, you know, going after and, um, and pursuing that, that market with a, a high degree of focus. Can you talk about maybe how you chose that market and um, the, the benefits of, of doing that? Absolutely. So, I mean, like, like most agency, you know, local agencies, we started as a, as a generalist just trying to serve the local market. And so we started what was Click Inc. And we were going to sell to anybody in our local area that needed internet marketing help. So that might have been the local dentist, the local roofer, the local AC contractor. And as we were going down that path, we found it was really a challenge to, to get any momentum because every client we spoke with or prospect we spoke with would say, you know, what other dental company did you work with? And can you show me their website? And what kind of results did you get for them? And so as we realized, man, it would be so much easier if we were just in one space. And so we, we kind of went and positioned ourselves in a variety of verticals. Uh, one of them was dentistry, another one was restaurants, and another one happened to be plumbing companies. And we got a plumbing client, we got him really good results, ranked on page one. He grew from one guy to, to actually five guys in less than a six-month period. It's an amazing success story. 
And so with that, we said, well, rather than trying to go after all these little verticals, let's just become the very best in the plumbing and HVAC market. And what we found was by doing that, all of the marketing techniques that we've read about uh, from Dan Kennedy and all of these other experts actually had wheels. So just being a generalist and saying, hey, we do internet stuff, come look at us. We were interesting to nobody. But then when we said, look, we're the experts in plumbing and this is what we did for a plumbing company and this is how a plumbing company should market themselves online, we became very, very interesting to that particular industry. And it became easy then for prospects to be interested in us when we reached out to them and ultimately for them to actually find us and come to us pre-positioned to buy. So I think that was one of the most um, strategic things that really accelerated the growth of our company for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, we stress this all the time that you cannot be, I, I, I don't think that you can be a generalist in this market and be successful. I mean, I think I think if, if you can, it's because you are a very, very talented marketer and you are a very, very talented salesperson. Oh, yeah. I, I think that that's the only way to pull it off. You're either industry-focused or your service focused, and your service is, uh, you know, let's say that you're the Facebook advertising expert, you're the AdWords expert, mm -hmm. and because you're so good at that particular service that there are multiple industries that you can extrapolate that to, but you can get your brand out there as the Facebook expert, the AdWords expert, um, but there's not there's not a lot of those, right? There's, there's a much smaller number of those that are successful in the small business space versus the vertical industry focus like you guys have done. Um, the other thing, think, the other thing I'll say, if you don't mind me kind of interjecting, is sure. there's, there's a lot of benefit from a positioning perspective and, able, and, it, and the ability to get clients makes that so much easier. But really where it has the biggest impact is your ability to scale and be able to, to grow the company. Because you might be a great salesperson, you might be able to get clients in a variety of verticals, but to try and execute in that in all of those different verticals and figure it out and actually get those people results, um, I haven't really seen it be a very scalable model for anybody that, that did that path. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. I think it's very, very difficult um, to do anything other than, again, I, I, yeah, I, I can't think of really any, any success stories that I would point to that are generalists that are making that work for, for exactly the reasons that you mentioned. They, in, order, in order to be a generalist, you have to be able to charge clients much more money to make up for the inefficiency, mm -hmm. right? And so if you're, if you're selling to mid-market companies or you're selling to 500 companies and you're able to get, you know, those companies will write a check for a, you know, a $250,000 marketing contract or whatever it is, then you have the ability to hire people and, and say, hey, look, you're not paying us to be cookie cutter. You're paying us to do custom stuff, to be creative. Mm -hmm. and, and you're getting compensated for it correctly. Um, but in the small business space, that's just that's just not reality. Yeah. So so cool. So you, you chose your market. You decided to focus on it. Um, you got those first, you know, initial case studies that um, have been, you know, I, I'm sure a, a good foundation for you to leverage and grow from. How do, did you take that from? Okay, we, we've had, you know, good success with a plumber or two that we can point to. To, 
hey, we are now positioned as the guys in the industry. You know, what what are the steps that you took to go from point A to point Z there? Right. And I think probably the second thing after we landed those first couple clients was all about positioning. And like you said, how do you go from having two clients in an industry to being the expert? And I think a lot of people get caught on this. They're like, oh, I'm not an expert. I don't really know that much about this particular industry. But the fact is, you have the authority and the ability to claim that for yourself. And we claimed ourselves as the expert in the plumbing space when we had two clients. Now, granted, we got some great results, but then we went on to create content that explained what we did for those clients. And that content created that expert status. And so it was everything from writing a case study to creating a little PowerPoint presentation on the five steps to most effectively growing a plumbing company to then creating a live webinar to then creating a book and then speaking on the industry stages and being parts of the association. But it really all starts with having the confidence in yourself and saying, okay, I can be the expert in this space and then creating the content that makes that the reality. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, um, you know, you mentioned Dan Kennedy, who I know we both study a lot of Dan Kennedy. And Dan mm-hmm. Kennedy, um, uh, you know, would, would always point out uh, Robert Ringer. Robert Ringer is one of his favorite authors, one of the original kind of, um, you know, business-related, like, self-help guys um, out there. Really interesting character, fascinating books. And one of his things that he used to stress in his books was this idea of the leapfrog theory that, you know, there's there's nobody that's going to come along after X amount of work or, you know, X amount of years of doing something. There's no committee that's finally going to say, okay, Josh, you've done it. You've, you've done enough work. You've come far enough that you are now anointed experts, you know, in, in plumbing SEO, right? Um, and so you would talk about, and Dan Kennedy would talk about, how it, it's critical that you just you seize that position, that you grab a hold of it. Certainly, you have to be confident in that. So maybe you know, maybe for you that means you could do it confidently after two clients. Maybe for somebody else that means after five clients. But you know, you you need to be able to seize a hold of that and say, hey, we're the experts. And then of course, demonstrate and back it up through things like the content that you would create. So. I, I, content has played a big part in that attraction formula, right? Bringing people into your funnel, making them aware of and bringing them into your business versus having to go out and pound the pavement uh, really hard every single day. Is that is that correct? It's played, it's played a huge role, but there, there's kind of a synergistic aspect to, okay, yeah, now you've chosen your niche, you've positioned yourself as the expert with whatever expert positioning resources you put together and then it's a matter then of, of pounding the pavement like you said putting an aggressive outbound marketing strategy in place where you're getting that positioning in front of your ideal prospects and all that stuff again is possible because you have a niche and because you have positioned yourself it becomes easier you're not cold calling a hundred blind companies and saying hey I'm, I'm a guy that can get you more leads you want to talk you're saying hey I'm the expert in working with plumbing companies and I have this case study I'd like to share with you we spend a couple minutes And so you're still doing that same activity, but it's so much easier because you have the positioning and the and the industry specialty. Right. And how how long have you guys been at it now? Like, what year in the business is this for you guys? So this is our our sixth year. We our first full year was in 2011. Cool. That's that's awesome. Um, And uh, at what point? Well, actually. 
how much of your team is is like dedicated sales team at this point? Uh, well, I mean, for the most part, our entire team is is operations focused. Um, you know, actually executing the work that we need done for our clients. We have 28 full time employees. Um, it's basically my business partner and a, and a full time sales guy at this point that is is handling the inbound sales and presenting the, the services. So rather than having a heavy sales force, uh, we we have attraction-based marketing and a team to execute for the clients. That's awesome. So that, that was one of the things I was real curious about and I think people would be fascinated to know at, at what point, you know, when, when you're doing the expert positioning and you're putting the content out there, at, at what point do you really feel like it started to become, okay, we're getting the volume of inbound requests that we need to, to really grow this business versus you know, we're sitting down and we're making an X number of cold calls every day. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it was probably at least the first year to two years where, you know, we did get some inbound, but for all intents and purposes, we were sending direct mail, we were sending cold emails, we were making cold calls. Um, obviously, we wanted to be as strategic as possible with those cold calls and make them education-based, but um, it wasn't probably until about the second or third year that, we didn't have to chase quite as hard. Yeah, I, I remember, I, I can remember very clearly the first day at Everon, our IT services company, where we got an inbound call. And we were all like in shock at first. What's, like, what's this all about? What just, what just happened there? Right. And then we, you know, we just like celebrated. We're like, oh my God, like somebody picked up the phone and called us. And at the time, we were really creating a, a new way of doing that service, and we had we had put a whole new language around it and everything. And for that first year or so, every time that we called somebody and we said we do this service and we do it this way, people were like, you know, uh, no, you know, nobody else does it that way. What are you talking about? How is that going to work? Like, you know, everybody else that we've been pitched by does it this way. It's a normal model. And, um, and so we used to have to do a lot of explaining. We used to have to do a lot of educational content that we were just putting out there all the time. And so that day when finally it reversed and somebody started contacting us and saying, you know, hey, we are looking for somebody who does this in this way. And we're like, whoa, like it's working. You know, we're, we're getting it out there. And it's amazing because that first call, you know, after a year or whatever it was, and then all of a sudden, it's a call a month, and then it's a call a week, and then it's a call a day, you know, and it got to the point where we could regularly count on, hey, we're going to get five to ten inbound calls each week. And not all of those are going to turn into client opportunities, obviously, but that's enough to feed the growth of a business like this as yeah. long as you have everything else set up properly from, you know, Seven hundred fifty thousand dollars in revenue to one point five million to two point five million to three million dollars in revenue, mm -hmm. um, which is incredible, right? That's an incredible feeling. Yeah. So, what, what pieces of content, you know, what what pieces of content have been kind of the foundation of this process, and how are you getting them out into the market so that the right audience, you know, sees them is even aware of this? Because I can't imagine that plumbers are just sitting around all day long, you know, searching for great SEO company, maybe they are, I don't know, but um, I would think that you're having to do something to get this in front of them. Absolutely. So, I mean, I would say initially the, the key piece of content that kind of drove everything for us 
was our uh, was our primary presentation, our primary um, keynote presentation. We just created a simple, you know, the ultimate guide to marketing your plumbing company online, and it was kind of all the steps we thought were important from setting up their website to getting claimed on the Google Maps to getting online reviews in a presentation, you know, six step, seven step presentation format. And we were able to take that, record it, you know, with ScreenFlow, put it up on YouTube, turn it into a webinar, and then take the content from that and turn it into a, a white paper that people could download. And so that one presentation kind of drove a majority of the content that we needed in order to, to be of interest to our prospects. Um, so that's the first part. The second part in terms of getting it out into the marketplace, uh, we did try and do a lot, of, a lot of inbound. So we found that there were people typing in plumber SEO and SEO for plumbing companies. And so we got found like that, obviously pay-per-click advertising for some of those same terms. But really the, the lion's share of the pickup from this was by joining the industry association. So in any, any vertical you choose, there's an industry association where these people congregate. They get together to learn, they get together to mastermind. And so we joined the various industry associations, were able to get their list of members. Sometimes it was just mailing addresses, sometimes it was actually mailing addresses and emails. And we were able then to push our content out to those folks, get the eyeballs, and, and ultimately get the inbound leads. Yeah, it's awesome. We call that you know using channels or aggregators somebody that's already collected your audience. Um, one of the important things, again, Dan Kennedy and all those guys teach is, hey, you know, one of the most expensive things to do, one of the most expensive processes in your business is to create an, an audience, right? To go out and gather people cold. So if you can tap into somebody who's already made that investment, an industry association has already made that investment of bringing everybody together, then you've got a ready-to-market-to channel that you cut, you know, 80-90% of that um, cost out of pulling together that audience because you're just, you know, you're sliding right through um, their, uh, you know, their particular channel. Um, so that's, that's, that's awesome. Um, and that, again, I, I think everybody here, when, when I talk about, you know, running the playbook correctly, you know, this is it. Picking a market to specialize in. Um, putting together the content that is going to attract that market and position you as the expert in that market, then going out and leveraging channels and aggregators to reach as many people in that market as efficiently as, as humanly possible. Um, and then it continues to go from there. And, and I think that, it, and feel free to um, add any more that you want to about kind of the selling process, but I was just going to say at, at some point here, so you've got, you know, you've got this great expertise, this positioning, you're getting um, uh, awareness and you're starting to attract the right people. At some point here, this has to translate into services and revenue. And as we know in this industry, it's got to translate into services and revenue where people stick around and pay you consistently or else that whole ink, uh, you know, 1163 or whatever it is, is a pipe dream. Right. right? Absolutely. So. Can you talk about how you uh, how you've structured your services, how you've made that work? That you're you know you've got these like you said clients paying you recurring revenue month after month. Yeah, I mean I would say being that my first business was a web design and hosting company, I had a complete catastrophic failure for two straight years of landing clients, building a website, and then getting like five bucks a month or fifteen bucks a month to host it. Um, I was constantly chasing 
to create a $2,000 sale that happened once and then never recurred. And so uh, after experiencing that, dealing with the, the disappointment of failure, going into B2B sales and then re-emerging in this company, I decided I wasn't going to do any one-off projects. I wasn't going to take any small, you know, and, and small is comparative with small fees, and just set my minimum monthly at $1,000 per month and decided I would package it in a way that they would get enough value for that $1,000 per month to make it a no-brainer. And the first couple clients that I landed in this way, I was just like, I can't believe it. This was less work than that one web design company that I had to hustle to get, and now I'm getting that $1,000 every single month. And that, that number, as long as they stay, and they don't all stay, but as long as they stay, continues to grow and continues to build to the point where all of your, you know, your lifestyle needs are met, and then you're able to go out and hire people and continue to grow and continue to scale. And so I think just changing the model from one-off projects to recurring relatively high dollar amount fees was a, was a huge impact on our ability to scale and, and, and like you said, make that Inc. 5000 list. And then also really being diligent about the relationship with the client. And we struggled with this early on because we were so focused on selling and doing the work, really getting the client good results, that we didn't have a proactive strategy to manage the relationship. So to make sure that the customer felt the love and that they knew what we were up to and that they felt like it was a continuing business relationship. And so when we made that connection and started to have some account managers in place that had specific KPIs in terms of communication with the customer base and, and the ongoing relationship, that was when things really started to click because we were able to get the clients, get them good results, but then also have a long-term relationship that sustained itself. Because if the clients are leaving faster than you're selling, you know, you could have the best business model in the world, but you won't, you won't be accomplishing your goals. Yeah, you're on a you're on a treadmill at that point. Yeah. Um, yeah. So so there's a couple of things I just want to stress there, and then we'll start getting into into some questions here from um, from the audience. So um, the the recurring revenue and the thousand dollar price point, I, I think that those are two magic things in this industry that um, too many people ignore for whatever reason, and it goes. Lots of reasons, and we can actually uh, we can demonstrate a few of them here very quickly. But having at least a thousand dollars a month, I think um, every single company that I've seen in this industry that's successful um, gets at least a thousand dollars a month, unless they are doing some sort of automated service. So, as an example, Kutenda, our business, we would get less than a thousand dollars a month, but we built our own software platform that was running much of the services for our clients. So it was you know, super efficient, super scalable. Um, even in that case, going too far below that is impossible just because of the cost of sales. The mm -hmm. cost of selling and marketing your business is just completely underappreciated in this industry. That, you know, and, and whether you call selling the fact that you're flying to the industry trade show and doing presentations, we're selling the fact that you're doing that ongoing client relationship management where it is. It's, it's a monthly sales job. You are selling that client on, hey, here are the benefits that you got in the previous 30 days. Stick around for the next 30 days. Yep. Right? I mean, that that's what you're doing. And there's cost to that no that most people are just not accounting for and don't appreciate. Um, so let me ask, go, go back to 
rewind to when you said, I'm, I'm only going to do recurring work. I'm only going to take at least $1,000 a month because I know there are a lot of people that are going to say, but, but wait, 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 Josh, what about when that, when that prospect came to you and said, well, I don't want to sign up for your you know, $1,000 a month services, but I'd love it if you design a website for me for $4,000. Right. You know, we, we spent a lot of time kind of mapping out what, what, the, what our clients needed in order to really generate leads and to generate growth within their company. We identified that just having a website really doesn't do that much for them. And so we were able to make a pretty compelling case. Yeah, you want a, you want a website, and even if it was $10,000, that's not really going to do much for you in the long term. We need to set up the website. We need to write good content. We need to make sure that you've got a strategy to get ranked organically and kind of move them down that path. And you know, we passed on, on those guys that just wanted to spend $3,000 or $5,000 for a one-time website build. Yeah, so you passed on them, which is absolutely key for everybody to hear because that's painful. That's very, very hard to do. Uh, but the reality is, and we call this, you know, this the cycle of doom in this industry. If you take that client, you spend all of your time trying to make that client a success, and then at the end of that project, they're gone. And that five thousand dollar, four thousand dollar, whatever web design project is much lower margin than you think, um, and then. You have not done any selling during that time. You haven't gone out and written your keynote, you know, presentation and delivered it and stuff like that. And so you're just back where you started. You're you're back at ground zero, starting all over again. That prospect doesn't want to do any ongoing work with me, so now I've got to start the sales process all over again. So many people in this industry are trapped in that, and it takes a tremendous amount of guts and discipline to say no to that work, understanding that the uh, cost of your time and the distraction for you and organizationally for taking that work is actually much, much more expensive than just the $5,000 or whatever that you would have received for that work, right? No doubt. And I, I lived that cycle of doom for, for the greater part of two years, and it was just painful as can be. And so I, maybe it wasn't guts. It was more I hit my head against the wall so many times and failed that I knew, you know, insanity is doing the same thing again and again, expecting a different result. I knew that it, it didn't work, and so take it from me and Mike, and save yourself the heartache, and and don't do it. Um, the other thing, you know, with with that whole concept of, you know, sometimes you have to give up revenue to have more profits. Um, we we experience the same thing. We chose the plumbing and HVAC niche, and every now and then you feel like, oh man, well there's this roofing company, we could do it just as easily for them. Or here, here's this window company. We could do it just as easily for them. And it is very close, right? I mean, what's the difference? You set up a website and claim directors. But what we found is our whole business model is built for plumbing and HVAC companies. Our team knows how to fulfill for plumbing and HVAC companies. Our, our web designers and our content writers, our whole business process is built around it. So every time that we would try and say, hey, you know what? We can get that extra 2K a month by taking on this kind of company. We actually wound up losing more money and losing more time and losing more energy than if we had just said, you know, that's not our specialty. Pass it off to somebody else. And um, that was that was a lesson we had to learn over the last couple of years here. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, all right, cool. So uh, we've covered some really good stuff. Let me um, let me get some questions in here. Um, let's see here. John is wondering, um, do you do Facebook ads for your client? 
Uh, we, we do it at some level. So I'm not going to say we're a Facebook ad specialty company. You know, we try and come in with a, a foundation on focused on really optimizing for SEO. But we did develop a, a full circle strategy that includes SEO, pay-per-click advertising. And at some level in what we call our digital dominance method, we do think there's a play for them to be advertising on Facebook and generating leads. But it's a, it's a long ways down probably like six, step six or step seven. And it's more of an upsell play for us as opposed to going in and leading with Facebook ads. Cool. Um, John is also curious, do you uh, you know, do you have any sort of limit on how many clients you'll take in the, in the same market, essentially providing the same services? Yeah, you know, business model-wise, that, that was probably another strategic advantage for us um, was we, we decided we were just going to work with one company in each major market. And, of course, that plays well within the, the plumbing and HVAC niche because they don't want anybody, if they're in Dallas, they don't want another company in Dallas working with you. And so, no, we only work with one company in each major market. And um, that's another one of those things, oh, we're going to give so much business away, we're going to leave so much on the table. But uh, really, the, the opportunity is, is still exponential. Yeah. Um, let's see here. So uh, David says, I have a question about the less than rosy side of the business. Um, so that you know, agencies can often have a bad reputation for their employee culture and employee satisfaction. Uh, how have you faced that challenge as far as hiring and turnover goes? You know, it, you know, uh, as a fast-growing company, it was it started with me and my business partner Dean working out of a home office, and we kind of scaled it now to where we have 28 full-time employees. And there has been some turnover because you don't have as much money to to spend on full-time talent as a large Fortune 500 company or something along those lines. Um, we've tried to create a good culture where the people enjoy what they're doing. Um, there's another video online where I show a tour of our office. We try and make it a fun place. There's cardboard cutouts and it's green and it, it's a fun place to work. Uh, with that said, if you look us up on Glassdoor, there, there's some negative feedback from our employees that just didn't feel like they had a great, uh, a great employment experience. Um, and I think you know as you grow, no matter how good you are, no matter how hard you try, uh, you're going to have to deal with the fact that you're going to have some negative feedback out there. Yeah, absolutely. That's a, that's a tough one. I tell you what, because when we uh, when we were running Evron, we were nominated as uh, one of the best places to work in nice. Boston and stuff like that. We won those awards. And we put a tremendous amount of effort on culture at our business. Yep. Um, I think that that's one of the most rewarding things you can do and also one of the most frustrating things you can do because as an employer, as a, a boss trying to create opportunities for people, trying to give them a really healthy environment to, to work in and to, to thrive, and then no matter what you do, you are still going to get a percentage of employees that are just not good. Honestly, right. I mean, you know, no matter how much you try and filter them and all that type of stuff before you bring them in, you're going to get people who are just lazy, who are political, you know, causing infighting, not taking care of clients, things like that. And you are going to get people that, you know, will badmouth you, but as an employer, no matter what you do, and you're like, gosh, I'm trying so hard. Um, you cannot please everybody. And it's an, it's an interesting, um, you know, I think it was, I think, I think, John, you asked the question. Um, in the agency industry, all the way up to the big, you know, agencies that um, handle the you know Fortune 500 accounts and stuff like that, um, 
average industry turnover in those agencies is like 40%, mm. something like that. Like 40% of your employees a year turnover. That is so damn hard to run a business, to keep any sort of institutional knowledge and culture when you're turning over your entire team that quickly. Yeah. Um, so that's a real challenge for anybody in, in any industry related to this. Um, it's just, it's, it's one of the toughest things out there. And I think, you know, like I said, you, you do your best, um, selfishly as an entrepreneur and as a CEO, by doing your best, you're, you're getting benefit from that because you are getting less turnover. You're, you're saving money. You're getting better performance out of your employees. Um, so it, it makes sense for you to do it, even if, uh, sometimes it's not as satisfying as you'd like it to be. Uh, yeah, you know, it's interesting on that front, and I don't want to spend too much time on it because I know there's other questions, but, you know, it, we found that it's actually less about how much they make and more about them really feeling bought into the vision of the company, the impact that the organization has. And when we started 100%. doing quarterly goal-setting sessions as a team and getting everybody on the same page, um, our culture really improved. And it wasn't just about the, the fun stuff that we did. It was really about feeling part of something bigger than themselves. A hundred percent. Um, at what point did you decide to bring on employees? So you said it was you and Dean, you're kind of working on your home uh, to start with. At what, what point did you decide to bring on people? Yeah, I, I was thinking about that, and I believe it was when we were at about seventeen dollars to $20,000 per month in recurring revenue, and that might seem early, and it just really depends upon how much money you want to make. Uh, but for us, that was the time when we, we said, if we're going to continue to focus on growing this company, and we can't be doing the work and selling the clients. And so we, we brought in a, our first operations manager at that point and thought he was going to be able to do everything. And, you know, obviously we stumbled and we bumbled and have had to change our model and, you know, kind of expand the team. But it was at about $20,000 per month, I think, when we got our, our first employee. That's cool. Yeah, that's um, it's fascinating because when you, when, you, when you start experiencing fast growth, you hit those milestones where it's like, oh, geez, all of a sudden I need to hire one, maybe it's two, maybe it's three people, and you're at $20,000 in recurring revenue, and the next thing you know, you're like, uh, well, now two-thirds of that is going to somebody else, and I've got to go out and get the next 20000 in recurring revenue to justify that investment, but, but you have to make it, right? And that's yeah. why you have to have the right price points on your services, or else you never get ahead of that. Exactly. Uh, what would you do differently now, in hindsight, to expedite growth? Um, I think I would have I would have iterated quicker in terms of choosing my niche. So we were going after restaurants, and we stayed in multiple verticals for much longer than we probably needed to. Um, I would have spent more time diving deep into, like you said, the the affiliate groups and the organizations. Um, you know, we found that when you get clients within a an affiliate group like that, um, the retention is even greater. Because they know that their buddy in the same association is using you. They're seeing you on a quarterly basis at the events and the meetings. And for whatever reason, they're just a higher caliber client. And they're, they're a lot more secure in terms of being with you long term. So those were two things. I, I would focus, like really commit to the niche earlier and spend more of my time on a defined group of people as opposed to just kind of scattershotting people that find me via SEO and, and you know, random direct mail and things like that. Cool. 
Um, do you use like minimum contracts and things like that, six months, a year, stuff to, to keep clients around? You know, we started month to month for probably the, the first five years. So it was all month to month. You know, the onus is on us to prove our value and to you know retain you as a client. Uh, it's only been in the last, I would say, year or so where we did move to an annual contract. And that's just because our, our business case is so strong. Uh, we have so much social proof. And, you know, let's face it, we're only working with one company in each vertical, and there's not tens of thousands of verticals. We can be a little more selective and, and make it a little bit more of a challenge for people to, to choose to do business with us. Yep. Cool. Um, so you've got this $1,000 price point recurring revenue service. Do you have any foot-in-the-door products that you use to kind of get people up to that point if they're just coming in and they're not 100% sure, or how do you handle that? You know, and I, I know from your trainings that's something that, that you've trained and I've seen that work really well. Uh, for whatever reason, for us, we just we get them in the door at whatever price point we want them at. So at the beginning it was a thousand or twelve hundred dollars per month. Now it's like two thousand to twenty five hundred dollars per month. We don't have a foot in the door service and um, that's just not the way we have our model structured. Yeah, no, and, and actually, I, I think that that is right uh, most of the time, honestly. I, the, so the only time that we sold, you know, if we, you could call a foot in the door is when somebody needed some sort of upfront work before our service would make sense for them to, to, to you know, be able to continue working from us and get benefit from our ongoing services. And so typically what we would do is we would have some sort of upfront thing, but we would make that a part of the agreement to to sign up for our ongoing services. Gotcha. So we'd say, hey, yeah, look, we need to get you that, you know, that new website built or whatever it is, um, but we're only going to do that for you as a, as a part of this overall agreement of your signing up for our ongoing services. So it gives them some sense, and, and what we had was we had some... Um, kind of risk reducers in there in the way that we structured it and communicated it that made people feel confident about, okay, I'm, I'm getting to, to test these guys out a little bit, even though I'm saying I'm you know, committing to this longer term thing, but I have a way of at least testing out this relationship a little bit for I think I'm full is always in the context of, well, look, in order for us to do that, you have to be a client. We only do that work for clients. We don't just do that, you know, for one-off customers. Um, so we're always, you know, establishing that as part of the deal. Yep. Do you do uh, all of your all of your fulfillment in-house? You use contractors. You have virtual, you know, people on your team. At this point, the the majority of the the account management is in-house. The communication relationship management. Uh, at this point, our graphics and web development is done in-house. Uh, there are certain things like developing content that we've been able to find good third-party contractors to help us with, uh, some of the citation development type work. So I would say we're, we're kind of 70-30. Uh, we've chosen not to outsource any portion of our core competency, especially the relationship management piece of it. Uh, but there are certain things we've been able to tap into third-party contractors and, and outsource providers to help fulfill. How do you handle, I think this is this is actually one of the most important things in your business model and doesn't get talked about very much, how do you handle when a client says that they want to cancel, that the services aren't 
aren't going as they expected. They're not seeing ROI, whatever it is. Yeah, and, and unfortunately, that's that's a fact of the business, right? Um, you know, usually what we're going to do in that situation, hopefully we're, we've got a good relationship with the client, um, and we want to have a meeting to, to make our business case and really just show them, here's what we've done, here's the traction we've seen. We do have a lot of tracking in place from the keyword tracking to actual rankings on the on the search results, call tracking, and so we can go back and say, look, you might feel like this $2,000 per month is being spent in a vacuum, but in reality, here's what we've accomplished, here's the results that we've achieved, and more importantly, this is what we're going to be focusing on next. And so that, to me, is probably the most powerful thing, and don't just show them what you did, you need to show them what you did so they feel like logically, okay, yes, there's a, there's a reason that I spent that money. But the thing that's going to make them stay is what you're planning to do for them next. And um, I can't say we have a 100% batting record on that front, but we often get the call, hey, look, we know we're going to cancel, and we're able to keep them on board and, and continue to retain that relationship because of taking that approach. Yeah, and that, and that speaks to this idea that it's, it's always a sales process, right? You're always, sales is painting the better future, yep. right? Painting that image of the better future, and then how do we close that gap? We close that gap with our services. So, client, here's where you are today. Here's where you were yesterday. Now you've been with us as a client for X months. Here's where we are now. Here's where we're going. You know, make sure that you stay a client, right? Yeah. Um, Jimmy, hey, Jimmy, asked a, a question. Um I think we just answered part of it, but part of it is: is your does your business model have any sort of performance-based nature, or is it activities and things like that? Uh, we chose not to be performance-based in that you know we don't sell on a per lead uh, deal, or we don't take a percentage of their revenues. We looked at that model often. I've actually tested that for myself personally a couple times, and, and haven't had the greatest success for me personally. So the way ours is set up, uh, we have very specific deliverables in terms of what we're going to do. Obviously, they're paying us a monthly fee and they need to see a return on investment. And so we do put tracking in place and it, it, it's, it's implicit that there needs to be a return on the investment. So it's performance-based in that regard, but it's not performance-based in that we get a percentage of their revenue or they're paying us per lead. Cool. Um, uh, this is a good question. I think this one speaks a, a great deal to the scalability of the business as well and price points and stuff. How much of your client work is face-to-face -face versus uh, remotely, you know, over the phone, over virtual calls like this? I would say 100%, well, I can't say 100%, 99% is virtual. So the scalability question, the face-to-face -face question, you know, there was a time where we were selling companies in our backyard in South Florida, and I would have to drive out to their office and meet with them to get them on board, and then they wanted a meeting face-to-face -to, -face to review the results, to retain the relationship. And um, there's literally no scalability in that model unless you're charging significant dollars. And so uh, we've been fortunate enough that you know the vast majority of our clients are outside of South Florida, and you know we we have a web-based meeting to go through our sales process, and then we have web-based monthly review calls to retain the client. And there's other than seeing them at trade shows and events, there's very little uh, in-person interaction. Yeah, it's. I Again, I don't, I don't think that you can make the business work any other way unless unless you can charge dramatically higher prices. Um, okay, good question here. David asked, do you ever lower your price points to bring new clients on board? 
No, and we, we've chosen to say, look, this is our price. This is the value we bring to the table. This is what you know. This is what we charge, and we only work with one company in each market. So, if it's too much for you, then it's probably not a good. It's probably not a good business fit. Yeah, I think um, it's really, really. Any anybody who's made it to Josh's point in this industry would understand that. You know, if, if you lower your price points in this industry, you, you have essentially just decided to do charity work. I mean, nobody in this industry is running like a super high margin business. Right. So, you know, if you if you lower your prices 15%, they, I mean, there goes your you probably, money. You just, yeah, you just wiped out any margin that you have. And so the conversation that I always have with clients, and, and this, this works really well. To determine, yes, this is a relationship I should get into or I shouldn't. And it's to just say, honestly, if Josh was my prospect, say, hey, Josh, I understand, you know, I'm a business owner like you, we're all price sensitive. But what I can tell you after years of being in this business is that my clients expect a certain level, level of performance and of service from our team. And we have to be priced at this price point to be able to staff properly to do that. We don't run a very high margin business or a service business just like you are, I'm sure you understand that. And any discount that I give to you essentially forces me to have to erode the level of service that I'm gonna to give to you, which ultimately is gonna make you unhappy with my services. I would just rather not ever get in that position with you and I hope you understand that. And they either go, yeah, you're right, uh, you know, good answer because I do want that level of service and you know, yada yada, or they go, meh, and then you go, Thanks. It was nice talking with you. Shaking hands. You know, let's move on to the next prospect because yeah. you're not going to win. You're not going to win in that situation. And again, it's a matter of discipline um, to be able to say to say no. Um, okay, we are at just about an hour here, Josh. And I know. So first of all, rude of me. I apologize. Congratulations on the new member of the family. Oh, thank you. That just just arrived very recently. So I know that between running. A very fast growth business and a fast growth family, you have a lot of things to do and a lot of things to get to. So I don't want to keep you here uh, tied up, you know, any any longer than we committed to. Um, so I do want to say thank you very much for being here, sharing this with our crew, and asking um, or answering questions that people have. And I do want to also share this um, with folks. So Josh has put together some really fantastic training um, around his approach um, that is free up there for you guys to get access to. And I just put a, a lab special link on this, Josh, because the uh, ClickFunnels link didn't look as pretty. Um, but it's, uh, guys, if you just go to labspecial.com forward slash Josh Nelson, um, you will see that uh, he has put together some fantastic content up there for you guys to continue learning from him and learning uh, the approaches that have made his company very successful. So again, it's labspecial.com forward slash Josh Nelson. And I will go ahead as well and type that into the, um, uh, into the uh, chat box here so you guys can get it that way. Um, anything that you'd like to say about that, Josh, or anything that you'd like to add? No, I would just say, you know, what you'll find there, um, we've grown this company to, to the point where it's at today. Um, we made the Inc. 5000 list, which was kind of a 
a milestone that we celebrated and something we're real excited about. And just thought it would be a good time to, to pause and reflect on what did we do, how did we make this happen, what did we do different than some of the other agencies that started around the same time as us that failed and didn't get to the next level. And so what you'll find there is just me kind of unpacking my brain and how we were able to get to the Inc. 5000, how we were able to scale the company. And so that's our, that's our gift to you. Go, go check it out. And I hope you get tremendous value from it. Um, they were people like Mike and Dan Kennedy and others that shared their expertise when I was coming up. And it had a huge impact on me going from a J-O-B where I could barely get by to the point where now I, I'm able to live my desired lifestyle, have the freedom that I want, and, and really live the life that I want. And I want that same thing uh, for you, and I want to be able to do what others have done for me. So that's, that's what you'll find there. That's fantastic. Um, uh, Ron says the link on the page does not work. Huh. Um, I don't know if he's referring to on your page there, Josh, or what. We'll, we'll take a look at it, Ron, um, and make sure that we get everything uh, tested and working. Um, other, other people are saying it, it works. So, um, And we've got lots of, uh, I don't know if you've seen it, Josh, but we've got lots of thank yous coming in. Gracias. This is awesome. Thank you. Um, uh, congrats on your success. Um, all that good stuff. Um, so that's fantastic. Uh, Gerald says, I think it's Ron. Ron, they're saying to uh, type it into the browser. Don't click on the... Uh, don't click on the link that's on the screen. Type it into the browser. Um, all right. Yeah. Hopefully. Well, anyway, yeah. Hopefully that was clear. Um, so, uh, and see some very generous and all that good stuff. So, it is fantastic. I think that's so cool that you're doing that, Josh. That's a neat milestone uh, for you and your team, again, on this on this path towards growth to be able to stop and kind of document that, document, you know, hey, what got us here? You know, where are we going? How are we going to apply these lessons to keep on growing? That's a really cool It's a really cool thing to make sure that you pause and do. So congratulations on all your success. It's fantastic. Um, thank you again for being here and sharing your experiences and, and uh, all the lessons learned with our crew. Absolutely. And, um, yeah, we'll, we'll let you get back, to, uh, get back to your family and get back to your uh, growing business and take care of both. All right, man. Thanks a lot. Really appreciate it. And thanks for joining us, guys. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, everybody. We appreciate your time. And uh, thank you for all the interaction and asking questions and all that good stuff. And uh, assuming this recording worked, we will get a uh, replay of this out to you guys so you can go back through it. Okay? Awesome. Take care, everybody. We'll talk soon. Bye.